0: Samuel 21. If you weren't with us last week, we started a new study. We finished up our study in the book of Isaiah. And what we're going to do here, probably for the next uh, month or two, um, it's kind of nice to do something a little bit different in the summer sometimes. Summer schedules can be kind of crazy. You can be here one week and not the other, so sometimes it's hard to get a theme going. So what we're doing here um, on Wednesdays is we're doing the Life of David in Psalms. Is David wrote over 70 some psalms, and at least 14 of these, 13, 14 of these psalms, are mentioned specifically the situation that he was dealing with as he wrote about them. So, what we're doing is we go back to like 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, read the situation that he was going through, talk about it, and then we go read what was on his heart, what the Spirit put on his heart as he was going through these psalms. And it's a fascinating little study to see sometimes how he reacted and what was going on in his heart. And it really is a nice glimpse into what was going on. So, without much further ado, what we did last week was, uh, the first part, was 1 Samuel 19. We focused on 1 Samuel 19:11, And that was with Psalm 59 of David here being encircled at his house, his father-in-law wanting to kill him. And we talked about how David did nothing wrong. But the world was all against him in all ways. But yet he kept his heart on the Lord and his focus on the Lord. But what we see here today now in 1 Samuel 21 is David really has kind of taken a step backwards. Now I have to give credit where credit's due. I heard a great teaching on 1 Samuel 21 a few weeks ago. And so I'm going to steal some of these, this guy's points because it really was good. See, what happens here in 1 Samuel 19, David has to flee. Saul wants to kill him. So you got to remember, David is the son-in-law of Saul. David is the great war hero. He's the good-looking guy. He can do all this stuff. Saul's jealous of him. Saul knows God's hand is on David. Saul knows God's hand is no longer on him. Saul wants David killed. So now he tries to kill him. But what you have here in 1 Samuel 19 is the first step towards that. 1 Samuel 20, you have a little bit of a break, and it talks about David and Jonathan and the relationship. Well, in 1 Samuel 21, what you have now is David on the run. And David's going to be on the run for quite some time. So what happens here is he's on the run, and he runs to Ahimelech, the priest. Now, when he comes to Ahimelech, excuse me, Ahimelech, the priest, easy for you to say, um, Ahimelech wants to know what's going on. So David starts telling this lie of what's going on. He says, I'm on the secret business for the king. The king sent me here, and I really can't say what's going on. David's lying. There's no way around that. He's lying. So what goes on here is David needs some food. The only food they have is the holy bread. And they said, okay, well, I guess you can eat it. We'll bend the rules a little bit so they eat the holy bread. And David keeps on going a little bit further, and he says, hey, do you happen to have any weapons? So Himelech says, the only weapon I have is the sword of Goliath that you killed. You can take that. And David says, sure, I'll take the sword. And then David keeps running, and as he runs, verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21, he runs right into enemy Territory. Right into enemy territory. And as he's running into this enemy territory, the enemy starts saying, verse 11, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Basically, he said, what's this guy doing? He runs right into this land. Obviously, he's here to fight us. Obviously, this is some secret military mission. David starts freaking out a little bit here. Verse 12, now David took these words to heart and he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of their gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David therefore departed from there and escaped the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard, they went down there to him. So David is now hiding in a cave. Now, what a fall, if you will, here. Just a few chapters earlier, the shepherd boy David with stones defeated the giant. And was a great picture of faith and victory and trusting in the Lord and how God can raise up people and do mighty, amazing things through them. He was the picture of faith. Just last week when we studied him, David was the picture of the world falling apart around you but keeping your focus on the Lord, not taking it personally and not letting it get the best of you. Now all of a sudden in chapter 21, his faith has turned into fear. He's now running. And what is he doing? Now he's lying. To the priest and after he's lying to the priest now what is he doing he's running to enemy territory and he's running to enemy territory not in faith but in fear and no longer does he need his slingshot and stones now he says I better take a sword with me now some of you may say okay okay isn't that just common sense I think it shows a deeper picture he's taking the sword of Goliath that he defeated in faith as a shepherd boy and now he's going to use it as a weapon I think what you see here in 1 Samuel 21 and going into 22 is David having a lapse. Now, I don't say this to pick on David because I've had lots of lapses in my life, and I'm sure you've had too. But note the progression here. His faith turned into fear. And what happens when your faith turns into fear, first thing? Lying. The truth starts to dissipate from your life. Haven't you seen it? When someone starts going backwards instead of forwards, it's just tiny little lies. I see it all the time. Somebody who hasn't been in church for a while, or you can just tell they're heavy on the heart. You go up to them, hey, is everything going okay? Oh yeah, things are going great. Just just a little few things here and there, and just really been. Oh, I'll see you soon. It's just the first step towards other things. Now things pop up. You can't make it every week. Everybody knows that. But yet there's this pattern that starts developing. Where really deep down inside you're saying, I'm going backwards, not forwards, and the things of the Lord mean nothing to me. And so, but I'm just going to tell you everything's okay. David could have went to him. I can't say this guy's name for the life of me. Ahimelech, and could have said, you know what? I'm the anointed king of Israel. I know God's calling on me, but Saul's flipped out and he's trying to kill me. Instead, he says, nope. I'm going to lie. Where'd the faith go? Faith went out the window. David had to take matters into his own hands. And haven't you ever done that? I've done that. Where God, I know I should trust you on this one, but this is one I I just I got to take care of this myself. I got to take care of this myself. Well, next thing you know, since you're taking care of yourself, you no longer need the um, stones and the sling. Now you need a sword because, you know, faith is out the window. I need a weapon now. So now you need the weapon. Well, you even go one step further. Instead of going back to where you're supposed to be spiritually, running to the sanctuary of God's people, running to where God calls you to be, you run to the enemy. Haven't you ever seen that? Where these people, instead of going forward in the walk with the Lord, they're going backwards in the walk with the Lord, and you look at who they're hanging out with, and you look at what they're doing, you're thinking, you're running right into the hands of the enemy. Why would David go into Gath? Because he's running in fear and not running in faith. And that's the same thing that happens for us in our walk with the Lord. When we run in fear, not faith, we run right into the enemy, and you'll be in places you shouldn't be around people you shouldn't be doing things you shouldn't be, which then, now, the anointed king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the man that God says, I want my lineage to come through, that the Messiah could trace his roots back to David, is clawing on doors, pretending madness, and letting drool run down off his face. See, when you get out of faith and into fear, you look like a fool. That's exactly what happened with David. This great man that had it all together, went from faith to fear to a fool because his eyes got off the Lord. And where does he end up in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 22? In a cave. Now, we all know what a cave is. It's dark, it's damp, it's wet. Caves are fun to visit, but no one ever wants to live there. David now is going to go live in a cave in the wilderness because he went from faith to fear to being a fool. This is the place that David's at right now. Now, while David's in this place... He writes two psalms. Now, I think it's really interesting to see what these two psalms are about. And as you read these two psalms, it really reveals nothing of what's going on in this story. And that's what's fascinating about this. Because when you read these two psalms, you really think, wow, David's got it all together. He sounds great. He sounds wonderful. And you look back at this story, and it's like, he doesn't have it all together. So what does that mean? Well, before we read the two psalms, can you turn to Romans chapter 7 real quick? Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I believe it's one of the most honest passages in the Bible. And Romans chapter 7 deals with this idea of, I know what God wants me to do, I know what is expected of me in my life, but my actions aren't following up where my heart should be. And you know what? We've all been in this position. I've told you numerous times when someone comes in for counseling, nine times out of ten, if I ask them, what do you think you should do? They know what they're supposed to do. They know what God's laid on their heart. They know what the right thing to do is. They just don't want to do it. Very few times in life do I not know what to do. I know what God wants. Most of the time, I just don't want to do it because it hurts. Romans 7, verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Doesn't verse 15 sum up a lot of our lives? Okay, Lord, what I don't want to do, I'm doing. And the things I want to do, I'm not doing. Verse 16, if then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. See, verse 17, there's sin in me. I I can want and desire to go deep and walk with the Lord, but there's always going to be this fleshly sin in me that fights against it. My own passions and desires can be very, very strong. I have a deep heart to hopefully one go deeper in my walk with Christ, but my flesh, my flesh doesn't like to die. Verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh... Nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Doesn't verse 18 sum us up too? I, I know what I want to do. I don't know how to do it. I just don't know how to do it, Lord. What do I do? Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, that the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. See, verse 22, that's my heart. I want to be on fire for Jesus. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, with my flesh the law of sin. See, verse 22, in his heart, our heart, we want to do what's right. Verse 23, but my body doesn't do it. Verse 24, I'm wretched. See, a lot of people have just stop at verse 24, and they have this great pity party for themselves. I was just talking to somebody earlier this week, and and this person is at pity party verse 24. I'm such a horrible dad, I'm such a horrible father, I'm such a horrible husband, such a horrible man, and we'll do something about it. The answer is found in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, God wants to take us out of that wretched state and turn us into what He wants us to be. I was thinking about that, and the study that we did on the Saturday morning men's prayer was The Measure of a Man. It's a really neat book. And I, it was so good, and I knew I missed so much out of it. I have actually started reading it again because I thought, Lord, there's so much in here. And at the end of chapter 1, it's got this little point. I just want to share this with you. It says, When Satan tempts you with thoughts, meditate on these words, and he quotes James 4. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But then he says this. Listen to God's voice, which is saying, I love you no matter what you've done, no matter where you are in your spiritual growth, no matter what your feelings. I'm on your side. I've not rejected you. You're my child. You can become a man of God, and I'm here to help you. Now, the only catch is you have to desire and want it. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. See, this is the thing about David. We see in 1 Samuel 21, we see a failure of a man's life. Faith went to fear, and then he went to the enemy, and then he became a fool. Now, But we also see in Romans 7 here a desire to want to do what's right, sometimes even when the body doesn't want to. What you see now as we go to the Psalms that David wrote, you see both sides of this. Turn, if you will, now to Psalm 34. Let's see what the Lord laid on David's heart while he was going through this situation. Psalm 34 is the first one we're going to look at. Psalm 34, what's the first thing he does in verse 1? Well, first off, let's read the background. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, The first thing I thought of when I read this is I thought, what a hypocrite. You know, this guy is in a moment of doubt and fear. He's not focusing on the Lord. He's taking matters in his own hands, and he wants to sit here for the first three verses and say, praise God, all the time. And I started thinking about that, and I thought, boy, if I want to be a hypocrite, just look in the mirror. Because here's the catch. You're going to catch me at some times where I am living Psalm 34. At least you're going to think I am. In my heart, I'm really doing a First Samuel 21. Everything looks good on the outside. Everything looks wonderful. I'm saying the right words, I'm doing the right things, and you're going to think everything's fine and dandy and great, but really what happens is First Samuel 21, my heart is really black and really dirty at this time, and you will never know the difference because I can put on a real good appearance. But there's also the flip side. You're going to run into somebody sometime who's going to be living First Samuel 21, and you're going to look at them, and you're going to judge them just like I judge them. How can that person claim to be a Christian? How can that person claim to be a follower of the Lord? They're not following the Lord. There is no walk of God. There's no faith in their life. There is no fear of the Lord. They are letting their own emotions control them. They're letting their own temperament control them. They're claiming to be a Christian. Their lifestyle is 1 Samuel 21, but yet their heart is Psalm 34. See, this is why we've got to be careful sometimes. It's because, yes, we can look at actions. Yes, we can look at fruit. We can look at people and say, you know what? I'm not seeing a walk of Christ in you. But sometimes there's a whole Psalm 34 going on inside that we will never, ever see. That's why God knows the heart. Does this mean that we step back and say, you know what, it's not my place to say yes or no? Of course not. If you see something wrong, part of being a Christian is saying, you know what, I love you enough to tell you that's wrong. But this is what happens to me. There are some times where I get so down on somebody because I don't see enough fruit. I don't see a walk. I just see a First Samuel 21 life just backsliding, and no faith, just fear, they're being a fool, they're running to run into the enemy. And I sit there and I say, oh, come on. But yet when you stop and talk to them, you get through some of those layers, you really see a heart that is just breaking, saying, I really want to go deeper and Lord. I'm so caught up in the enemy here, and I don't even know what to do. And you stop and you say, wow, but there but for the grace of God go I. And you know what? I can really pick on them. But here's the problem. With, and I use this term lightly, with the job I have, I'm not allowed to have 1 Samuel 21 public moments. Because if I have 1 Samuel 21 public moments, you'll say, hey, nice job, but we'll find a different pastor. So all my 1 Samuel 21 moments have to be behind the scenes. So I do a real good job of presenting Psalm 34. Real good job. And I have my dark moments on the inside. And so I sometimes catch myself and I'm saying, yeah, I look good, but inside I'm not where I'm supposed to be. See, this is the thing about being a Christian. Sometimes we look good on the outside and our heart isn't where it's supposed to be. We're living Psalm 34. I should say we're appearing Psalm 34, but really living 1 Samuel 21. There's other times where, you know what, we're living 1 Samuel 21, that's what everybody sees, but there's really a heart inside that says, I want to be different and I don't know what to do. God help me. And this is what you see in David. This is my personal opinion, opinion, so take it or leave it. I don't think... 1 Samuel 21, I don't think David was having a lot of joy in life. I think he knows he was wrong. I think when we get into the study next week, we're going to read all the psalms from the cave. and You're going to see some of these psalms that he writes from the cave, and I think he really knows deep down inside, I screwed this one up. I lied to the priest. I took the sword. I don't need the sword. I ran to the enemy, didn't know what to do, so I got the enemy, so I acted like an idiot. And now I am sitting in a dark, damp cave, hiding. I think David stops and realizes, okay, this is not what's supposed to be going on. This is what he wants to be doing, his Psalm 34. He wants to be praising the Lord all the time. He wants to be magnifying his voice. That's what he wants to do. I think verse 4, we start seeing a little bit of that heart. I sought the Lord. He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. I think David realizes, okay, I was in the land of the enemy. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? He delivered me. Verse 5, They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. I love verse 6. That is a perfect description of me. I'm a poor man crying out to the Lord. He hears me and he saves me from my troubles. Verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. And deliver him. Let's jump ahead, if you will, to verse 17 of that same chapter. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Personal opinion again, verse 18. I think David is writing this saying, okay, Lord, you're right. I think David's heart is broken at this time saying, I messed I let fear get the best of me. I let my own actions get the best of me. And I think he's saying in verse 18, broken heart, contrite spirit, Lord, that's what you need. I cried out to you. You got me through this. Haven't you ever been in that type of spiritual state I have where I have dug myself into such a hole and God miraculously throws a rope down to you? You grab on and as he's pulling you up out of the hole, you just think, first off, Lord, thank you. And second off, Lord, I was so dumb. I never want to do this again. I think David's having one of those moments of, I never want to do this again. I never want to put myself in this position again. But this is part of the beauty of the Bible. And when somebody always comes up and says, how do we know the Bible is real? And here's how we know the Bible is real. There's many reasons. Here's one of my personal opinions of why the Bible is real. Is the Bible so honest? If I was writing a book about my life, I would never share a 1 Samuel 21 moment. I never would. I would always just present the good stuff. The Bible presents somebody like David all his faults and flaws along with all of his faith. And you see a guy that struggles just like you and I. And you know what? You've probably had moments this week where you went from faith to fear. you probably had moments like that. You're in the bottom of a hole. And you can relate to these verses. You can relate to verses 17 and 18. You've cried out, the Lord heard, He delivered you out of trouble, and He saved your broken heart and your contrite spirit. See, David says, I've been through that. Stay in Psalms and jump ahead to 56. Let's see the other psalm that he wrote when he was going through all this. I think this one is a little more honest. I think this one is one of those where he really says, okay, I really, really messed this up. Psalm 56 says, To the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands, a victim of David, when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Look at the first phrase. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. There are many who fight against me, O my High. Now, that's honest. You know why? He's in the middle of the enemy camp. Sometimes I catch myself being in the middle of the enemy camp. And sometimes it's not because I put myself there. It's a trial. It's a tribulation. It's something where the enemy is trying to pull me down. It's like, okay, Lord, help me through this. There's other times I find myself in the middle of the enemy camp, and it's like, okay, I walked right into this one. I really did. I really, really walked into this one. I remember... My, I've told you stories about my wife, and I know you guys always think I blow my wife out of proportion, and I don't. She's very, very honest. And I remember there was one time where I really screwed something up. And I remember going into her, and it was walking into the enemy camp. And I remember telling her, I'm sorry, I really messed that up. And the only thing she said is, you bet you did. <laughs> and I... I think this is one of those you bet you did moments. David's writing, Be merciful O God. Man would swallow me up, fighting all day he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me. And I think God's going, you're right. You idiot, you're in the middle of the Philistine camp. You're running, you grab Goliath's sword, you lie to the priest, and you go to the Philistines? What are you thinking? So what does he say? Verse 3, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. And God... I will praise his word. In God I put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. See, he's writing this psalm after this event. And I think he's realizing in verse 3 and 4, okay, when I'm afraid again, I'm I'm not going to listen to myself. I'm going to trust in God. I'm just always going to praise him. I'm going to trust him. Because look, what can flesh do to me? I think David realized after his little Philistine moment here, that was really dumb. They could have killed me. They could have killed me. But he also realizes in verse 4, God has his hand on me. Now, God is very particular in what he writes. And when he chooses to repeat something, he's repeating it for a reason. Jump if you ahead, if you will, please, to uh, verse 10. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Why do you think he goes ahead and repeats that? Because I think he's really realizing this. You know, it's one of those things where you've done wrong and you go up to a person, I'm sorry. And they said, Okay, I forgive you. No, you don't get it. I'm really, really sorry. No, I understand. You're forgiven. No, you don't get it. I'm really, really sorry. I think this is David saying, I am sorry. I'm going to trust you, Lord. And God saying, Okay, got it. No, God, you don't get it. I'm really sorry. I'm going to trust you. But he also says something that I think is important. Just so these words aren't words. Because you run into a lot of people, I run into a lot of people, where they will tell me whatever I want to hear, just to get me to shut up. They will tell me what I want to hear. I'm doing fine, pastor. I'm doing great. Reading my Bible, praying. Can you just leave me alone now? They will say what I want to hear. But look what David says in verse 12. Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. Now, that's a deep verse. Because what he's also saying is, I will trust you, I will not be afraid, and from here on out, Lord, my trust is in you. But then he says in verse 12, I realize I'm making a vow here, Lord, and these aren't just mere words. This is the one of the things I always try to stress. And sometimes it's heard, and sometimes it's not heard. I try to stress when I do the premarital counseling with couples, is when you get up to say these vows, they are not just words. You're making a public covenant before God and man about your marriage vows. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got it. Yeah, sometimes they hear it, sometimes they don't. But David is saying here, As I am vowing to you, I trust you. I will do this from here on out. I will trust you. Why? Verse 5, all day they twist my words, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps. When they lie in my wait for my life, shall they escape by iniquity? And anger cast down the people, O God. What David is saying is here, everybody's against me. Well, He knows that. He knows Saul's against him. Saul's twisting the words. He knows that Saul's getting the army for him. He knows that he is being chased down and attacked. Verse 8, You number my waterings, put my tears in your bottle, or I not in your book when I cry out to you? I think verse 8 is very important. When you're in one of those modes, and we all get in those modes, when no one cares, no one understands, no one sees what I'm going through, verse 8 God keeps your tears in a bottle. He knows your hurt and pain. Now I may not know your hurt and pain. You may call me up in the middle of a horrible situation, and you may say, "James doesn't get it. He didn't respond." No, because I don't know your heart. I, I can get a glimpse of what you're going through, but I will never know. There's been times in my life where I've been so heartbroken. I've called people up, and it's just like they don't get it. But God says in Psalm 56:8, "I get it. I'm collecting those tears." I get it. I understand what you're going through. And David says, you get it. Once again, remember the soap opera of this situation. David, the anointed king of Israel, that defeated Goliath, the great war hero, is now being chased down by his father-in-law, who's trying to kill him, spreading rumors about him, and sending the whole army after him. This is just a movie in the making. David's saying, no one gets it but God. Verse nine, I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. And then he repeats, In God I will praise His word, and the Lord I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust; I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So, what was David going through when he was going through First Samuel twenty-one? I think he was going through a torn spirit. I think he knew what he was supposed to be doing. I think he realized what he did was wrong. I think he realized this is not what's supposed to be happening. I think he had some regret. I think he had some relief. I think he had some recommitment here of, okay, Lord, I want to get back to where I'm supposed to be. But note, even during this time, what does he keep stressing? I'm going to praise God. Isn't it one of the things that we tend to lose is when times get tough, praise goes out the window? i got nothing to praise God about. Boy, you always have something to praise. Remember, you don't praise God for the situation. You praise him for being your Savior. He's always worthy of your praise because he's your God and Savior. Sometimes the situation is not very glorifying, and sometimes the situation doesn't seem as very praiseworthy. But God is always worthy of our praise because of who he is and what he's done. David is realizing this. He is realizing this. And also, what does he realize in verse 56? It's his word. How many times does he repeat that? His word. He realizes his word is truth. That's why when you go through difficult times, stick to the word. That's what's going to get you through. Stick to the praise and realize you may have 1 Samuel 21 moments where faith goes to fear, which makes you a fool, but there's always a chance of recommitment and refocusing on the Lord. So we'll get into the next psalms next week of the psalms that he wrote while being in the cave, and we'll talk about that some more. But does anybody have any quick questions, comments here before we close up? Megan? Um, I'm reading out of NIV, mm-hmm. and then it says, keep track all my sorrows, and the footwork is for my wanderings so he remembers each and every time that we wander away from him. Well, and that's an remember inter- that. Well, let me say this. It says you number my wanderings. That's what mine says in the New King James. And you know, you can have a different interpretation of what that wandering, you know, means. Um, I'm thankful God remembers when I wander because I'm thankful that as the shepherd, he keeps his little lambs close to him. You know, um, as you know, we had four boys. Elias and Judah, we trust to be outside playing behind our house. We still keep an eye on them, but we trust them enough. When Kenan, who's two out there, we don't take our eyes off of him. Uh, He's a little lamb. He wanders, and as the shepherd, I need to keep a little closer eye on him. So it doesn't make me love him any less. It just makes me realize he's a little younger and I need to keep an eye on my little lamb a little closer. So if I'm wandering from my shepherd a little bit spiritually, I'm glad God knows that and I'm glad he says, i got to keep a little closer eye on James because sometimes he gets off track. So I don't take that as necessarily as a bad thing. I take it as love. Well, you don't see wandering a bad I see wandering as not being good. I'm saying I see it good. You mentioned the comment of do I really want him to remember that. I want God to remember that I wander sometimes because I want him to say, I want James to stay close to me, so I'm going to keep him close to me. I don't think wandering is good. I think it's good that God knows that sometimes I have a tendency to do that, and he wants to keep me close to him. That is what I think is good. Anybody else got anything they want to say or close to close stuff? Yeah, John. I just stuff going like his mind the words of God, confirming God. Uh, as he's going through these trials and tribulations, almost to reassure himself, kind of preaching to himself mm-hmm. uh, to get him through the, you know, to thinking about the war. And he's just yeah, as he's going through these trials and tribulations, it's kind of like self counseling. Yes. the best messages I ever give, I'm the only one that ever hears. <laughs> you know, because I'm like James. You know, you know, like this is what you need to do. This is and and this is what I think some of these psalms are. I think it's David, almost through the Spirit, talking to himself saying, praise God all the time. Don't get away from his word. Stay focused here. And we get a glimpse into living, of a seeing of what he was going through. Kind of that self-meditation type thing. So, anybody else got anything they want to say before we close up? Alrighty, keep VBS in prayer. Thank you for all your help with stuff. And don't forget uh, military. You can bring stuff in all the way through Sunday. And don't forget this coming Sunday, two services, 8.30 and 10 o'clock. So, let's have a word of prayer. We'll let you go. Heavenly Father, thank you for VBS going so well. And Lord, thank you for just in our... First Samuel 21 moments that you just love us and you care for us. Um, but, Lord, at the same time, too, when we're wrong, show us that in love. And we want to recommit, refocus, and get back on the right track with you in all ways and all things. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week.